Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I left academia about one year ago to become a scientific editor for grants and manuscripts and an editorial manager for a science website. I'm Ian, and I've recently left academia to move into a science communication, editing, and publishing career. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about two years ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Recovering <laughs> Academic Podcast. I'm here with Ian and Amanda, as always. Hello. Hi. But today, we are receiving the visit of Joshua Howe and Dan Eminen from the Hello PhD podcast. Arneman. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> In case you don't know, the Hello PhD is other amazing podcast about academia and science and how to survive graduate school that you should totally check it out. And mm -hmm. guys, why don't you talk a little bit about your podcast and how it fits together with ours? Sure. First, hi, Clady, Amanda, and Ian. Thanks for having us. Hello. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, uh, this is a real treat for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for us, too. Like, I, we're interviewing in our series, too, and, like, it's so cool talking to other people and doing a joint podcast. Amazing. Yeah, and, and we've listened to a few of, of your episodes, too, and I think we are certainly kindred spirits. Yeah, the, the theme that I think runs through both our shows is the desire to talk about the stuff that nobody talks about when you are in your science training. Exactly. And, and, and you guys are talking about such an important topic, which is what do you do if you leave the nest, I guess, if you want to call it that. And, and we're so interested in that, too. And I think just by bringing it out in the open, putting it on a podcast, making it public, uh, it's such a service to the people who are going down that path and feeling like they're the only one on earth who's ever done this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm actually still still in academia, just in a very very different capacity than when I was in grad school. But you know, Dan and I, we went to graduate school together. That's that's when we met. And you know, I realized because I work a lot with science trainees, with grad students and postdocs in my job, and I realized that a lot of the things that students and postdocs and other trainees are going through today are some of the very same struggles and challenges that Dan and I went through and our, our friends and colleagues went through back when we were in grad school. And we thought, you know what? These conversations need to be had out loud so that people realize that they're not alone in their struggle. Because sometimes some of the biggest challenges in science are thinking, you're looking around thinking, man, this must just be me. Maybe this, there's something wrong with me. When in reality, it's not you. It's just uh, part of the process. Um, and in some cases, um, there are some things wrong with the process. So I think another passion Dan and I have is we think science is so important um, that it's really, it's really critical that we try to make training a yes. better experience so we're not losing people from <laughs> the science. The three of us are here nodding our sucks. heads vigorously. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. We're nodding. Yeah. I guess we should say something because it's an audio format. Something. Um, yeah. No, I, and I wonder if the aloneness part 
sort of comes with the territory of academia of being a specialist because a lot of times it's just true if you're doing a PhD or you're a scientist like you're literally the per one person on the planet who knows what you know you know um, or made that one discovery and like you just have the specialist knowledge that was like oh yeah and of course I'm alone in that so I'm alone in everything else too um, and I think that can like sort of put blinders on right Yes. Yeah, sorry, not to start the discussion too early. I guess we still have to introduce. <laughs> exactly. The thing is, uh, we usually drink a beer while we're recording our podcast we normally. Do actually. Yes. Mm -hmm. But we normally don't talk about it. But as a treat to our Hello PhD guests, as they do start every episode of their podcast, drinking a beer and discussing a little bit about the beer, we decided to do the same. So we are, Dan, why don't you talk about the beer that we're drinking? Okay, I don't know who picked this, but I am impressed. Um, so we had to find a beer that everybody could find in their local store. And I think we're in right. four cities yeah. right now, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> so... Coming to you this week is the Ballast Point Brewing Company Unfiltered Sculpin Extra Hopped India Pale Ale. Um, I've got the bottle in front of me, and it looks like, is that a lionfish? I don't know what brand of fish that is, but it's a kind of a scary. Have you ever caught one of those, Josh? Mm, it is a lionfish. Is yeah, it? I, yeah. I think oh, that yeah, is look what at that. that is. My marine biology knowledge. And I will say this is, so we had a little email conversation about just the right beer for this, um, for this uh, monumental occasion. And we threw out the Sculpin because the Ballast Point Sculpin is a solid IPA. And thankfully, um, the good people of the Recovering Academic Podcast drink IPAs. Yes. <laughs> is that true? All of you do? Yes. I, I mean, it's, I mean, this one is actually pretty good. Like, I've just opened my first one, like, in, well, ever, and I'm drinking it. And I also appreciate that they have a sextant as their logo. On the can. Have a, oh, a yeah. special knowledge of the sextant? What is, is this the thing that for finding latitude? Well, not particular, but like we're talking about about <laughs> academic careers and I mean wayfinding, I guess, is the yeah, wow. the term for oh, it. Oh yeah, way to tie it in. Not navigating, but um yeah. Sorry, that's super nerdy, but no, we haven't had <laughs> enough to drink for you to find metaphors in the beer yet. So let's let's uh. That's There's great, an episode though. we recorded a couple of weeks ago where I literally and it's like, well, I'm not gonna say anything more profound than that, so we can stop. <laughs> <laughs> so not that we're at that moment right now, but anyway, the sextant thing is kind of cool, and like the beer is good too. We owe it to Clady. She actually went out and found not just the Sculpin, which I think they have year round, but this is the limited edition unfiltered Sculpin. Yes. So if you listen to this podcast, ah. you better go get it now, because it won't be around long. Yes. It is hazy if, if you pour it into a glass. Edition. Yeah, this is limited yeah. edition, and that's why when I went to the store, I was going to get the, the scoping, and then I was like, I saw this one, and I was like, oh my god, unfiltered, extra hops, and I was like, I have to get that. I'm sorry. And actually, it was funny, because I tweeted the picture, and then the tweet was retweeted by uh, the, the brewery. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. So that Twitter was all around, and it had I don't know how many likes and views. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I will say also there's there's a reason there's a method to our madness of why we talk about beer at the beginning of our show, not just because we're hopeless drunks. Um, that's part of it. Uh, but the main the main reason Dan and I decided to do that was 
in grad school, a lot of the times that we supported each other and talked about these issues was at the bar over a beer with some of our fellow grad students. And so, so to us, beer is kind of linked with uh, this camaraderie uh, that we had in grad school. Yeah, Part I guess that. So, sorry, Dan, go ahead. I was going to say thank you. Thank you guys for making us feel welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And this beer, uh, thanks, Josh, for picking the beer. I think that it was a very good uh, pick. Yes. Excellent. So the idea, actually, I had the idea first. Well, I was listening to the Hello PhD podcast, uh, the episode when they were talking about uh, when research sucks. And it was a couple of months ago, and it's it's really good episode. And they're trying to um, tell all the graduate students, like, hey, uh, graduate school is hard, research is hard, hanging there, it gets better. So it was a really good episode. But then I started to think of our episode, our podcast, the Recovering Academic Podcast, and I was thinking, well... Sometimes your research sucks, but sometimes it's just that you're done with academia and you don't want to go that route. So how do you know when research, your research sucks or when you're done? And that was what the idea that kind of prompted us to be all here together and do the joint uh, recovering PhD academic podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, recovering PhD. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> the crossover episode, I love it. <laughs> Hello, recovering academic. So, so not to not to go straight to the punchline, but but when you pose that question, there was one very specific episode that Dan and I recorded a while back, and he probably knows exactly which one I'm talking about. It was one <laughs> he has no clue which one I'm talking about. Um, but we had a guest on our show that we we talked to, and she had written an article, I think it was published through LinkedIn, possibly. Her name is Dara Wilson-Grant, and she is, among other things, very, uh, she's a leader in our Office of Postdoctoral Affairs at UNC Chapel Hill. And that's one of the questions that we posed to her, because she spends a lot of her time counseling postdocs specifically who are wrestling with that exact question of, you know, is this mm -hmm. just hard right now, like a normal challenge of science, or is this the way I feel indicative that I need to leave and do something else? And and the thing that she said, which we thought was profound, was that sometimes when it's time to go, you know, you'll have a you'll have a success in the lab or something that goes right. And instead of this really this really excited, fulfilled feeling like, all right, my experiment worked or I got my paper published, you just feel kind of neutral. Yeah. You know, so not necessarily how you feel when things are a struggle, because struggles are struggles. But when things aren't a struggle, how do you feel? Do you feel very fulfilled? Do you feel excited about your accomplishments, or do you feel just kind of meh? And if the answer is meh, then maybe you that's leading you to um, this idea that there's something else out there that could make you uh, feel a little more fulfilled. Yeah, that's what made yes. me decide to leave. Yeah, I mean, I listened to uh, one of your first episodes, and I think you talked about that. You had a description of some experiments that you had gotten to succeed. I, I don't know if you can retell that story for us. Yeah, so I was working really hard to get these experiments to work, um, trying to, like, they had about a million different details to optimize and um, 
get them to be successful and I had done this whole series of work and it was ready to be published and instead of being like really excited and being like yes I know something that nobody else in the world knows right now because I've seen this problem I was just kind of like oh god now I've got to write <laughs> and now there's one more thing for me to do and just like instead of being like yay I was like uh I don't want to do this and that's what made me decide that I needed to leave or that I should leave. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, right. I mean, here's where I'll complicate things a little bit by saying, <laughs> here's course. the thing that makes it more, can make it more difficult is that, okay, fine. Like it's, you're not excited about that research question because like, even if things have gone well, and then is it because of, you know, like you have to write and like, you don't like writing with your PI and you know that the manuscript's going to sit on their desk for seven months before it gets back to you to get published maybe. And I, you know, like, is it just that lab that you're in and like the people that your your immediate colleagues you have to interact with every day that are making it so difficult that you don't care. And like another context, like if you were a postdoc in another lab or an academic someplace else, would it be a lot different? And I mean, I don't have a good answer to that, but I mean, it's like, you know, if it's true, they're like, you know, it's like, yeah, I just don't care about research anymore. And like, that's your feeling, even when something's gone well, then fine. But like, I think it's can be hard to divide whether it's literally like where you are very locally in that specific lab or department. Yeah. Versus, you know, is it academia? I think it's a really good question. And it makes me think about um, when I was in graduate school, I was miserable the whole time, as Josh can attest to. <laughs> and I think, you know, looking back, I wish that I had um, been sensible enough to go get some mental health services and to have some resources available, because I think overall my mood was affected. I think thing, you know, in general, um, I was less excited. I, I Even the things that maybe would have been interesting to me I was less interested in because grad school was so bad. I mean, I think these are some of the symptoms of depression. Um, yes. So I, I totally get your point. I think I think there are cases where it does get bad enough that the the entire emotional state is affected by by research. But but I also think you know I had enough signs at that time where you know, even when when my experiments went well, I I remember a very distinct time where. I had done some um, immunofluorescence assays, and I was gonna, I was gonna put them on the slides and then kind of go home for the night because it was pretty late. And um, the one of the, my lab mates was still there with me. He like grabs the slides out of my hand and runs down the hall to the microscope room because he was so excited about the results of my experiment. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, this will wait. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, I, I I got to see that stark contrast between how I felt about my. Um, maybe awesome results and how somebody else felt who was actually really into this thing. Right. And I mean, I can like bring up another example If people want something to go listen to where like a very healthy attitude towards research and science. Um, there's the taproot podcast, which is plant scientists interviewing other plant scientists, but the episode with Siobhan Braybrook, where she talks about, you know, literally like, I mean, for her, like, is driven by this question. Like she's, you know, going to be a professor at UCLA coming this coming fall. Like she's made it and succeeded basically. 
and she loves just pursuing the curiosity and the passion and like despite the painful parts of like having to literally develop this technique of atomic force microscopy on living plant cells which was you know and people still not really believing some of her data because like this is just literally the cutting edge between physics and biology and you know correlating things that are going on in the cell versus you know what's going on physically just outside in the cell wall and she just has a very healthy attitude towards the entire thing and it's really refreshing and incredible to listen to and um she talks about how to balance that with you know like the hard parts and you know she's like and clearly she's someone who's like passionate by the questions one of the hosts also liz haswell same story like she was a postdoc for i think over a decade and you know incredibly great researcher just like it took her forever to break through to become a pi which she now is and a great one doing great work but um you know she was just like yep driven by the question love science like you know this is my path like i will stick to it and she had obviously had the support and stuff to make it but um yeah like, i think there is definitely a distinction to be made there yes but I feel that we can even complicate things a little bit more <laughs> because in my no. case, <laughs> I loved academia. I really love science. And I had that thing that I cannot imagine like what Dan, the situation that Dan described. I could be in the lab until like 3 a.m. in the morning and I could not leave if I didn't see my results, you know, like like plotting the results was the more exciting part of everything and and i really love that uh and that was i had the passion for science but the thing that drove me out of academia and i thought that i didn't want to do that it was all the rest that come attached to that the writing grants the heading to publish or <laughs> perish and getting money and and all this and the stress that when you, whenever you're in academia it seems that you have to be you always have to be writing you always have to be working there's no weekend like on the weekends if i had one day off i was i would feel guilty because I shouldn't, oh, yes. and you will go to the lab, I will go to the lab on a Sunday, and everybody was there, you know, because mm -hmm. it's just like how things work, and, and I was like, I don't, I don't think that that's for me, so it's, it's, it can be a little bit more complicated than just passion or not passion. <laughs> Yeah, the last thing you want to do is go to the beach for the 4th of July because then you're just sitting there in the sun, like, grouchy because you know your PI is looking at looking at her watch, like, wondering when you're going to be back in the lab. <laughs> well, you know, and a lot of times it's not the PI because the PI is not there. It's that other postdoc or grad student who's in there who's the one uh, looking down their nose at you. I will say that's one thing that I don't miss at all when I left uh, well, you know, it's funny. I'm still in academia, but I'm not in the lab anymore. And I can very vividly remember. I, I remember it, I started my job in January, and soon after that, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and and our university was closed. And so, I remember coming into the office on that day because that's what you do. And of course, no one was there because normal <laughs> people don't come in when the university is closed. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow, this is like a whole new world to me. You just wake up with night sweats because you think your cells are going to die tomorrow. And you're like, I don't have any cells. <laughs> I, don't have any cells. 
I actually yeah. still have nightmares that I forgot to feed my cells. Oh, really? <laughs> I do. You can hear their starving screams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember, like, I mean, a lot of weekends, because, like, I did like having some quiet time to work in the lab and just not getting it because everybody was there still. And it's just like, God damn it. Like, all I want is some time to myself. Like, it, you know, and now I feel good. Like, it feels better, like, working for a private company now that, like, you know, like, I go home and, like, I literally don't think about work until the next day, basically. <laughs> Like I leave and it's it's done and it's there and like I'll come back to it when I'm on duty again basically, like and it's so nice like I I've only had this for a month so like maybe I'll get sick of it but it's kind of <laughs> you, nice you like are. yeah yeah you know, it's kind of nice having time to think about other things besides work. Clady, I wanted to respond to something you said a little bit early because I think I think what you said is important and it's part of the the nuance of what we're talking about today, which is you did get joy from the results of the experiment. But what, what it sounds like you were saying is the, the job you were being pushed towards, maybe in academia, the end result is being a PI, doesn't allow you to do those things. It, it instead fills your time with writing grants, um, trying to get your papers published, trying to manage a group of grad students, um, so the thing that brought you joy wasn't part of that end result. And so it sounds like what you're saying is I don't, I don't want to go down this track because that track ends in a, in a place I don't want to be. I'm going to have to veer off. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly that. Because I mean, most of the PIs that are there, they don't, they don't go to the bench anymore. They don't, they just spend their days, uh, just writing and teaching and doing all the bureaucratic work that they are not trained to do to begin with. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it's people like you that I want at the bench. And I think this is one of the problems in the current academic environment. There isn't a place for you. If you love the bench, you, you love completing the experiments, you love the data that comes out of it. And you, you just want to keep doing that. You, you either have to be a PI or you have to leave. There aren't a lot right. of spaces for research faculty. Um, we call you a postdoc and, and we'll keep you as a postdoc forever if you're willing, right? And, and we'll keep right. you at the NIH postdoc salaries forever as long as you can do that. Not anymore, but, apparently, because they're right, exactly. limiting yes. those, right? I think that it depends. I think yeah. that there is a limit now. Like, for instance, I think that in the NIH, you cannot be a postdoc for longer than five years. And that's been for a while. And I guess that other places are like this as well. So you cannot be a, a postdoc forever. You can be. But then there's still no way to like settle in the like sort of middle tier of like the research hierarchy, right? Like, and that is a problem. Like, it's this weird, like, yeah, it's a very odd situation. Like, it's a, it's it's a of, gap. And, and I think we're losing talented people from yes. research science because of it. And I think that's really sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I mean, like, when I decided, like, you know, like, I was a postdoc for nine years. And, you know, I, I guess after the first couple, I was like, okay, I'm not in the place I want to be. And being an academic, it probably isn't for me. And, like, exploring what it is that might be an alternative like i mean i don't know like i had to get strong i entrepreneurial and like i started writing about science and like doing that stuff actually energized me to keep being a postdoc and keep going and like if i hadn't had stuff like that like creative outlets and 
you know, the few people who, like, oh, I knew cared about me. Like, I was depressed. Like, I, you know, yeah, it was a really bad time for me. And I, you know, I marveled I made it through, but, like, it's just those things of, like, you know, like, I decided to start exploring and, you know, like, I'm glad I did because it sort of rekindled, like, oh, I have to do other things to still stay in love with science enough to keep doing it for my day job, at least. You know, I think yeah. one one stressful thing can be, and, and this this was part of my story when you know I was when I started even my postdoc, I was fairly confident still that I wanted to to be a PI, um, not necessarily to research one institution, but at a a smaller liberal arts institution where I could do teaching and research. Mm-hmm. But but I very quickly realized that that wasn't going to be fulfilling for me. But I I suddenly had this <laughs> I don't know this real um, anxiety because. I had trained for so long to do this certain thing that I didn't know what else I could do. And so, you know, part of me had this thought, well, I guess I've just, this is my lot in life. <laughs> this is the right. path. Yeah. This is the path I've chosen. So even though I'm not happy and I don't think I want to do this, I don't know what else to do. So I've got to continue on. And so I wonder if a lot of people continue spinning their wheels, especially at that postdoc level, because they don't know how to step off the track. They don't know where to go. Precisely. I Yes. Like, have you guys, have you all seen the, um, the acknowledge, acknowledgement section of the, um, the guy's paper who, like, he's like, yeah, who, like, you know, his friend's like, I'm convinced his suicide was contributed to by the postdoc system. And, like, reading the story is pretty clearly he's somebody who just felt stuck and, like, didn't know where else to turn necessarily. And they had a hard time figuring out like, what else is there? And yeah, I mean, you know, it's something that I think like being curious about what else you might do is like a good thing to cultivate in any academic. Like, you know, you're curious about the natural world. Also be curious about, Hey, what else can I do? Because you might surprise yourself in figuring out like, Oh, that's, you know, there are other possibilities and like having the, having options, I think really inspires confidence in people. <laughs> like if you don't, if you don't feel stuck, you're going to like be a lot more relaxed about everything and things will happen for you. Yeah. I think that I, I think it's good to explore um, other ideas and options because it's something that I wish I had done earlier. And maybe um, Josh and Dan can comment on this a little bit more because you guys deal with this a lot more, but I know that, my graduate school PI was really great. My postdoc PI, PI was really great. And if you're listening, you both are very awesome. But um, <laughs> they also were very focused on the lab and had this idea that if you were in grad school, the idea that you were going, you're going to go do a postdoc and then you're going to go um, out and become a PI. And if you're doing a postdoc, then your job is to get a PI and that all this other stuff is kind of extraneous. So I was sort of discouraged from doing that. And I know that people mm-hmm. in other labs, their PIs outright forbid them to go to any, like if you were in the lab between like 9 and like 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., this is where you are. If you're going to go to some, I don't know, postdoc workshop on something or another, that's a waste of your time. That's an hour that, of your time that I don't get back. Mm-hmm. And so- I'm not quite sure, like I've, giving people advice for that or if you guys have any thoughts on that like maybe it was just like my maybe just a couple of PIs at my institution no I definitely have thoughts on that and 
you know, that's something that hopefully is starting to change, but not all PIs are in the same, same place with that. But, but I will say one thing that Dan and I talk about all the time on our show is, is making sure that, that grad students and postdocs realize that being a grad student, especially being a grad student is, is a very temporary period of time. That's not a final destination. Mm -hmm. And postdoc also, it's a stepping stone to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and, and what, what you are talking about is absolutely true. Yes. Doing your science is a really key part of your training and learning to be a scientist, but exploring that next step and building the skills you need to transition into something else is equally important part of that training. And, and one thing I'll say um, to, to your point, um, at, so at UNC, in, in our office, we offer lots of career and professional development activities. And we've certainly experienced some pushback from certain faculty, um, either directly to us or we've heard through, through trainees um, that, oh, well, I don't like my student doing this workshop or going hmm. to this career event. But so what we started doing is... Tough because, cookies. Well, so, you know, we're all former, <laughs> you know, you know, we're all science background people as well. So we collected a lot of data and we started taking attendance at all of our workshops. And we have a very um, clear idea of who are the, the students who are coming to these career and professional development activities. And you'll be glad to know that the data we now have shows that the students who participate more in these professional development and career development activities actually graduate more quickly than the students who don't come to anything. And so wow. we've started, we've been very vocal That's about really those results to our own faculty. And we're starting to share those results more broadly as a way to counter this myth that allowing your trainees time out of the lab to explore their careers is somehow inhibiting their productivity because the data shows that the opposite is actually the case. It absolutely but, isn't like, yeah, like I said, I, I can just speak to my experience with writing my science blog. I was like, but yeah, like it absolutely is not a distraction to me because it kept me like, oh yeah, it allowed me to love science more. Yeah, and it's impossible for you to focus yourself like eight, 12 hours of your day every day. You need to have breaks. And sometimes this going to a talk and seeing something else, it's, it's a nice break for you to kind of like mm -hmm. refresh, think about other things, and then come back and then mm -hmm. focus on your research. Well, and a little free piece of advice for any graduate students listening. The best way to graduate is to have a job. Have a job yes. lined up, and you go to your committee and say, look, I, I've, I've finished A, B, and C on the things that we've talked about, and they're waiting for me to start, so could we wrap this up? If you say, I've done A, B, and C, but I guess I could do D, F, G, and H, and they're like, yeah, I guess you could, couldn't you? And, <laughs> and then you'll have to do it, right? So, so having that, that deadline, having that place to go, it also convinces them that they've done their job. You are now employable. You've got your postdoc lined up. You've got a job right. in industry. You, you've got a job in something else. And then they can look at you and say, well, you know, we've done what we needed to do because you're ready for the next thing. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. advice. Yeah, because normally Easier people said than don't done. think. Yes, right. Because <laughs> like with my postdoc ending, it was the similar. Like my project was done basically. It's like yeah, it was just time for me to go. Like for sure. Like despite not having a job lined up, like it was just like you know what, I'm done here basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the whenever you're in graduate school, normally you don't think ahead of time. So you, you kind of like, you're so focused on your little research, on your data, on your um, everything in your lab, that you kind of just think about 
your dissertation or your paper or the next step, the next day, the next experiment. And you, it's easy to forget the big picture and, and see what you're going to do next. And I think that now, um, I don't know, but universities, I feel like they're starting to get more programs like the one that Josh was talking about, like more um, alternative, I'm talking like on quotes, uh, alternative careers for academia, because to try to avoid that thing that, oh, if you're doing, if you're in graduate school, if you're doing a postdoc, that's the, the path. That's the only path. Mm -hmm. That's the normal path, whatever you want to call right. it. And that's the path you should be putting your energies into. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like now it's getting better. I don't know if my impression or, or... A little bit. But then how do you start that process? Like, so this is where it comes back to, like, I mean, if you're a postdoc or a graduate student who's never considered anything else, like, you know, but the academic path, like, where do you begin to even think about, you know, what else is out there. And it's not necessarily like, I mean, so there's a great podcast like Hidden Brain that NPR puts out. They do this episode about like map, like seeking, a, finding a direction on a map versus wayfinding where like you're just trying to find, orient yourself a little bit. And like, you know, choosing a new career is more of a wayfinding problem than like map making. And if you, you want to know the to difference, the sextant, right? Yeah, exactly. And look, if you want to know, like, get this story a little bit, like, go watch the movie Moana that Disney put out a couple of years ago. <laughs> and that's all about wayfinding and how you figure out, like, oh, what direction should you go in life or on the ocean? So if you watch that movie, you're going to get a job out of academia? That's the secret? It will, that's it secret. will help you. No, well, it, not necessarily. Moana it will just help you. Academic, so. Right. <laughs> We it need will to help go. You, I have to go watch this. It will help you. Like, <laughs> oh, basically, the idea, like, goes into that Hidden Brain episode about wayfinding versus map making. Like, you know, this is something in the design world that comes up. And, because, like, like, if you don't know where you're, like, have any clue about a destination, like, you know, you can't possibly figure out steps to take. So, like, the first thing is, like, figuring out where you are and then figure out where you can go, <laughs> like, from where you are and just start figuring out like okay what resonates with you that you know is different like you know like the stupid example for me is like oh yeah like i should have been a writer long before i started actually writing on the internet um and it's just like you know like i ignored that voice for a very long time until i didn't and then you know like interesting things have happened because i started doing it and it was just you know like it was sort of my little bit of way of making you know decide figuring out like where i could go from where i am and, like, that's wayfinding, like, versus choosing a destination to go, like, because you need to do that before you can find into destination, right? Just, like, sort of, like, okay, where am I and where can I go? I think, Ian, your example is a really excellent one. And you said it earlier in the, in the podcast, um, you started doing something. And I think that's where, I think that's where we all get stuck. We say, well, I don't know what I want, therefore, I'm just going to sit here. Until right. maybe somebody brings me an opportunity. And, and that does not, I mean, maybe it works once for somebody somewhere, but it's not going to work for most people. And so I think this this idea that if I start doing something that I do like, even it has, it seems like it has nothing to do with science or my career or, or anything. What it does is I think it, it unlocks that part of your brain that shuts down when you're feeling that depressed trap state. 
and it gives you some energy. It gives you some creativity. And even if the thing you choose has nothing to do with that, that joy you took, maybe you're writing, um, maybe you're programming, maybe you're playing an instrument. I don't care what it is. Um, it, it unlocks other parts where you're able to see opportunities. You're going to meet people through that activity. You're going to network with them. And, and I think that's where it starts to open up. Yes, we, absolutely. You know, we, we do, we've done an event for a few years and we call it the career blitz. And, and what we do is we bring in about 20 individuals who are PhDs in, in science. Uh, we're biomedically focused. So PhDs in biomedical science and these are people from all kinds of careers across um, industry and business and writing and academia, et cetera. And, and basically, they're just available for about three hours for our grad students and postdocs to come and just talk to them about what they do. Because I, th I think you're right. We're, you know, a lot of trainees sort of have a limit in what they can imagine because they've not been exposed to anything beyond okay, well, I can do industry or academia, I guess. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but List the jobs that include pipetting. I can do any of those. <laughs> That's right. What are your skills? <laughs> pipetting, PCR, uh, biking to work. Uh, <laughs> Free <yeah>. pizza finding. <laughs> That's true. Good at that. Yeah. Uh, but really, there's so many things that are out there uh, for you with a PhD but often you don't know what those things are, I think. And that's what I think you were getting at, Ian. So maybe if there is advice, it's trying to connect with people outside of just academic researchers in your field. But maybe it is getting on Twitter or going to a career event or just, you know, and this is going to be hard for the introverts. But if you see somebody who's doing something that seems really cool, if you're envious, like, oh, I wish I had their job. Well, you know what? Get in contact with them and see if they can sit down or Skype with you exactly. um, just to talk about what they do. And that can really be a motivating factor. You can start to then imagine yourself doing that thing um, and gives you um, something to make your map towards, I guess. Right. Or start with a very simple like message to them, a tweet to them, whatever. It's like, hey, I love your work. Thank you for doing it. And a lot of times people will just get back back to you saying like, awesome, thank you. And that's a way to start in on like, you know, getting to know people and following them even closer and, you know, maybe even scoring that in-person meeting eventually. Um, just, you know, with a very simple, like, love your work. Thank you for doing it. And yeah, like that's how I started as a very shy introvert. And like, by the way, Twitter's a godsend for introverted people. <laughs> so just... Yeah, you will be amazing how people are willing to help. Most of the people, yes. they even if they're busy, uh, they find out sometime if you ask them for, uh, if you're far away, Skype or phone interview, normally people, they're willing to help you. And, and people, especially if you want to know more what they do, people love to talk about themselves. They love to talk about what mm -hmm. they do and how they are and how they deal with things. So it's kind of like a win-win situation. like a person with a podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, also guilty on this side of the, uh, the microphone. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's actually what I was going to say, that I think that we, the five of us, it seems that we could talk the whole night and we can still keep going and going and going. Right. I mean, have we answered this question of how we, how do you know when to break up with academia? I mean, like, I know we got some great answers early on, but. I don't think that we 
uh, I think that the it was not a question to be answered. It was a question to be discussed. Because, I mean, I don't know if there is an answer. There is, I don't think that there is a answer. Dan? You, you know, one thing, one experience that I've had was I can remember, especially towards the end of my, my PhD and, and certainly as a postdoc, you know, it got to the point as a microbiologist, I needed to come into the lab every Sunday night and start my cultures. And there were very few things that I hated more than dragging <laughs> myself into the lab on Sunday night to start my cultures. Yeah. And, you know, I worked, I worked, well, I don't want to say I worked really hard in those days. <laughs> I was feeling <laughs> demotivated. Um, but, you know, now I'm in a job that's very fulfilling to me. Uh, I feel like it's a good fit for me and what I'm passionate about and who I am as a person. And when I really stop to think about it, I work a lot harder now than I worked during my final um, months and years as a postdoc. I probably put in more hours of actual working time now than I did then. I will lots of times put in a few hours um, on Saturday, on Sunday. But the crazy thing is, it doesn't feel like I'm doing nearly as much work as it felt like when I was a postdoc, and that was not a good fit for me. So I think maybe that's a litmus test is 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 gauging what's the amount of work that I'm doing versus how much work does it feel like I'm doing? Because I think when you really find that, that thing that you're passionate about and that also is a good fit for you as a person, then suddenly you work hard, not because you feel guilty or because you feel like you have to, but because like Lady said earlier, like, because you really want to find the answer, you really want to get the task done. Um, so may, maybe that's something to strive for is putting yourself in a position and with a career where you work not because of guilt, not because of obligation, but because um, you feel just driven to accomplish it. Yeah, and I, I'd like to throw in my two cents at the end here too. Um, I, I don't think we've answered the question, how do you know when it's time to leave academia? But I hope that we've given some symptoms and signs for when it's time to make a change. And yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I, I think I think that's what we've gotten to. That's as far as we've come. We, we've said um, when when the good things are not joyful, when it feels like you're dragging, when you're starting to notice symptoms of depression, um, maybe that means it's time to look for a different lab or different research or... Um, change to context. Change context. So, do something. Take on a, a side project. Start to write. Do something different. At that point, um, don't let it go further without making some kind of change. And if that leads you out of the lab and out of academia, uh, there there's a great podcast, Recovering academics to support you in that <laughs> and and there there are so many other people who are are having uh, great experiences after that fact so i think um that's how i would that's how i would summarize it yeah plant seeds and see what grows like that's the plant scientist talking <laughs> amanda do you want to say anything final words I feel like it's all been said, and I'm not going to be nearly as profound as <laughs> Josh or Dan or Ian or you, so I'm going to just let it go. Yeah, I think that Dan <laughs> did a really good job summarizing the yeah, I'll say. what That's we've really decided. Um, do you want to work with us? Like, Do you want to join our podcast every week? <laughs> <laughs> all five of us five, five is is tricky and we're like raising our hands and we're down yeah 
Semaphore signals. Do the hokey pokey and you'll get called semaphore on. Semaphore signals. Yeah. Ah. I like semaphore. I like that. I mean, it goes along with the sextant on the beer. There you go. <laughs> so true. I, I mean, we certainly, We. I mean, I know I personally have really enjoyed this conversation. And that's one thing Dan and I have really loved about having the podcast is not just the opportunity for the two of us to get together and drink beer and talk about these things, but all, all the other people that we've gotten to, to talk to and interview and learn from on our show. And so this has been really a treat to, to meet you all and to talk to you about these things. And we would certainly love to not let this be the end of our conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. We should yeah. keep this going. Thanks for Any joining. Any final tasting notes? I, I just want to hear final tasting notes on the beer because IPAs can get a little bit uh, heady as they get warm. You still I mean, all right? Yeah, I'm all right. I only had 12 ounces, though. so <laughs> And I'm not 100% sure mine was the unfiltered. But I'm done with mine. So yes, it, was perfect. Well it was perfect timing, like the timing of the recording of this podcast and the beer. Perfect. Don't, <laughs> don't let it get warm and it's not a problem. I mean, it is very hoppy. Like, make no mistake. Like, it's, you know, IPA for sure. Okay. So, thank you, Dan and Josh, for joining us. Uh, thank you, Ian yes. Amanda. And thank you all for listening to our Recovering Academy podcast. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Cheers. This week's Recovering Academic is sponsored by Scientific Dispatches Consulting an editorial service for scientists. They specialize in helping you tell your research story clearly and concisely. Scientific Dispatches offers consulting, editing, writing, and presentation preparation services. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation at scientificdispatches.com. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other people find out about us. You can tweet the show at RecoveringAcad. You can also find all of the hosts on Twitter. I'm at LadyScientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. We're also on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash recoveringacademicpodcast. You can find all of our episodes and subscribe to our newsletter on our website at recoveringacademic.net. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower.